welcome back to another episode of Inside College Admissions. I'm Erin Barnes, and today I'm happy to be joined once more by Peter Van Buskirk. For those of you listening in for the very first time, uh, Peter, could you provide our listeners with a little bit of your background? Sure. It's good to be back with you, Erin. Um, I was fortunate to be able to spend the better part of uh, 25 years in college admission at Franklin and Marshall College, where I had the opportunity to work up through the ranks to become the Dean of Admission, Associate VP for Enrollment. And interestingly, for a year and a half, I was also the Athletic Director at Franklin and Marshall. And I I finished then working for the Office of the Provost for several years before I moved on. I I had the good fortune to be able to spend some time with Peterson's Guides, where I was the Vice President for High School Outreach. And I worked for Revolution Prep, worked for a lot of people, I guess, where I was uh, uh, also involved with uh, college planning solutions. So more recently, I've been able to work with students and parents in presentation settings with Best College Fit, a company I developed with the design to help families plan for college in a meaningful way, focusing on the student as the key person in, in all of this. A lot of times we get involved with the college planning process and the, and the focus goes to the colleges. But I, I, what I try to do with my work is, is make sure that the students and the parents understand the importance of, of their sense of purpose as they engage. So that's pretty much what I've been up to. And of course, I've had the good fortune to work with the, the folks at SCORE for the last couple of years. Wonderful. Yeah, we are so thankful to have you as part of the SCORE team to help shed some light on topics like the one we're going to be discussing today, which is the wait list. So we've reached a point in the year when most colleges have revealed their decisions. Offers of admission and letters of denial are pretty clear. However, a lot of students are caught in the middle and are receiving letters informing them that they've been placed on the wait list. So for those students and families who are listening in today, um, Peter, what exactly is the wait list and what does it mean to be a student who has received a letter indicating that you've been placed on a wait list? Well, the waitlist is, is an unusual invention from colleges and universities that the, the letter the students receive says something like this, we're pleased to offer you a place on the waitlist. And when you get that letter, you're thinking, pleased to offer, this must be good news. And then the waitlist, well, that's not an offer of acceptance. It's, it's really uh, an attempt on the part of the institution to provide an insurance policy for itself as it enrolls the class. Typically, when colleges send out offers of admission, they, they admit more students than are likely to come. They're, they're anticipating that there will be a certain yield on offers of admission. If that, then the yield on offers of admission turns out to be lower than they anticipate, then they need to have a fallback option. And that becomes the wait list, the insurance policy, if you will. So there, there are always, at, at selective college, is going to be a fair number of students who are who are offered waitlist status, and, and they're, they're kind of on standby, just, just in case. For the student, it's, it's not so much fun because it's like being in admission purgatory. You're neither in or, nor you're out, but the, the game goes on. So how exactly does that work for the student then? What do they need to do if they are offered a spot on the waitlist? Well, good question. Typically, the, the letter, in addition to saying we're pleased to offer you a place on the waitlist, will also say in order to secure a place on the active wait list, you need to return the attached card, send us a letter, do something. There's a call to action in, in that, that initial wait list letter that, that gives the student an opportunity to well, to become active uh, on, on the wait list. And I say active because the fact that you're offered wait list status doesn't mean that that's 
the only step you need to take in acknowledging the waitlist. You need to accept that you've been offered that place and you say to the institution, yes, I would like to maintain that place on the waitlist. So the institution might send out 5,000, literally 5,000 offers of waitlist to students, uh, waitlist status to students. And typically a quarter of those students will actually say, yes, keep me active. And it will be that active waitlist that is operational then for the college. If in that scenario where there might be 5,000 that waitlist status letters that go out, there could be maybe 1,200 to 1,500 students who say, yes, keep me active. So the real waitlist then from which colleges will draw their students will be the active waitlist. So the difference between the number of students who are offered waitlist status and those who actually remain active on that waitlist sounds like a pretty large difference. Oh yeah, and I think that this is important too because sometimes in that, that initial waitlist status letter that, that the colleges send out, they'll, they'll, they'll say, you know, last year or historically, we've had X number of students, let's say 5,000 students on the waitlist and we were able to enroll 15. And the students will say, holy smokes, I don't have a chance at all. But what's missed in that communication is that the progression from the general waitlist status letter to the 5,000 to the maybe 1,500 that remain active on the waitlist down to then the number who actually might be enrolled. And there's still another step that we're going to talk about here, I think, between the active waitlist and, and actually becoming enrolled. So colleges kind of play with numbers a little bit there to ironically suggest that it's very difficult to get in from the waitlist when in fact it's not as difficult as you might imagine. So Peter, if I were a student listening in today, I would be curious to know, are waitlists organized at all? How do colleges decide whom to admit first from that waitlist? Well, this is an interesting question because the colleges like to be able to talk in terms of having their, their waitlist organized. And when the waitlist might be organized initially, colleges will be looking at students in bands of maybe uh, 15 or 20 or 30 students uh, in a grouping, if you will, that will probably reflect some academic performance value that's associated with those students. But the reality is that breaks down real fast, real fast. Typically, the factors that, that are most important in determining who gets in off of the waitlist first are, to be quite honest with you, the student's ability to pay and the, the likelihood that the student will enroll. And the student's ability to pay is important for the following reason. When colleges have sent out their offers of regular admission, again, expecting a certain yield, they will also have sent out financial aid award letters to those students who were offered regular admission. Again, anticipating that if, if all of the students that were offered admission with financial aid accepted according to their yield models, that all our financial aid would be gone. So if, if a college is going to accept students from the wait list prior to the candidate reply date, which is May 1st, uh, they would be probably foolish to extend more financial aid to students, which would then overdraw on their, their financial aid budget. So uh, the first groups of students who are admitted from the wait list are typically students who do not need financial assistance. It's entirely possible then that colleges will get well into the full pay wait list and qualitatively before they get to the very top of the need-based wait list. So that's a big deal. And you just need to understand that if you need financial assistance, you may wait longer for a wait list activity than, than if you don't need financial assistance. And then of course, 
The other piece is uh, in April or May of, of the admission year, admission officers really don't want to have to work a lot harder than, than is necessary to get the class. So the students who are likely to get the first opportunity are the ones that are e the easiest to find. So if you're on a wait list and you choose to remain active on a wait list, you want to make sure that you let that institution know how they can find you. You want to make sure your, your cell phone is available, your, your email, and any, any kind of communication account that you have that can be used to reach you is readily accessible to the admission officers at that school so that, again, they can find you. Those are probably the first two things that, that uh, I would say come up in terms of how colleges look at students to, to admit. The other thing that comes into play, colleges will use the waitlist to kind of balance out the class. It, the waitlist is a, an opportunity to, to look at the gender balance within a class. If, if it turns out that they're through the regular admission process, there are more men than women, then maybe we lean toward women in, in the waitlist activity. If we have an opportunity through the waitlist to increase our ethnic profile of, of the class, we'll work on that. And then, of course, there are special interests that come into play, too. The, there might be a situation where the football coach wasn't able to get his top recruit in a particular position, and maybe there's, there's another recruit that's on the waitlist that, that we can take a look at. Those kinds of things all come into play as well. But the, the notion that there is an absolute ranking for students on the waitlist is, is really kind of folly. We might start with that, but it breaks down real fast as, as all these other special interests and needs come into play. Peter, I have to say the ambiguity of being placed on a waitlist sounds like it might be a bit stressful for, for a student. That said, if you are a student who is committed to remaining active on a waitlist, when might you expect to find out if you are admitted or not? Well, a good question as well. It depends on the situation for the institution. Generally speaking, when a student is offered admission, the expectation is that the student will make a decision about enrolling or not at that institution by May 1st of the senior year. So generally, then it falls to reason that a lot of the waitlist activity will happen after May 1st, after the institution has been, has been able to see what the final results are of the offers of regular admission. However, there are some institutions that are somewhat intentionally coming up short on that enrollment goal through the regular admission process. And I say somewhat intentionally because when, when colleges admit students from the waitlist, they are able to manage that process at a very high yield rate. Typically 70 to 75% of the students who are admitted from the waitlist will enroll. Conversely, students admitted regular decision will enroll at many institutions at a much lower rate, maybe 15 to 20 to 25% rate. So colleges that are trying to look like they're becoming more selective will admit fewer students in the regular process, intending then to take more high yield students from the waitlist. When that happens, the waitlists tend to be active as early as maybe the second or third week in April because those colleges want to find those students and, and get them committed as quickly as possible, rather than allowing them to sort of float on the economy well into the end of April and into to May, when, when in fact they, they may have other options. So if you are a student who is accepted from the wait list of a college, what will the procedure from that point look like? Is it a letter? Is it an email? Are there phone calls being made? What takes place after that? Well, as I suggested earlier, if you're offered waitlist status and you choose to remain active on the waitlist, the most important thing you can do is let them know that yes, you, you want wish to remain active on the waitlist and then you want to make sure they know how to find you. 
It's also important that you provide new information as it might relate to grades, any new honors or awards, uh, new activities that you've gotten involved with. You, you want to, to stay engaged with the institution as much as possible. How they will reach out to you then will depend, frankly, on the, the person at the school. Sometimes the school will send you an email saying, we've got a place for you off of the wait list. Would you like to, to join our class? Sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll make the call. And, and frankly, when I was doing this at Franklin and Marshall, we were, we were making phone calls to students and, and the conversation would sound sort of like this. You know, we're, we're pleased to be able to offer you a place from the waitlist into our class. Would you be interested in taking that? Some students would immediately say, wow, this is great. I'm going to do it. Wonderful. Then what we need to see from you is an enrollment deposit then uh, in, in a very short period of time. And, and, and literally colleges will probably expect students to respond to the waitlist with an enrollment deposit in you know, anywhere from three to five days. This isn't, the, this isn't something you think about then for, for a couple of more weeks. So if you're sitting on a waitlist, you need to be thinking strategically about, okay, what am I going to do? If they call me, what am I, am I going to be able to say yes? Am I going to be able to say no? You have to have that thought in mind. The longer colleges wait before making that contact, the greater the chance the student might have made a commitment elsewhere. So uh, I've made calls before where the, the student says, oh, I'd love to come, but I've, I've already made a commitment to another school, so I'm going to have to say no. Uh, that happens as well. But, but colleges will typically reach out very directly to you because they want a quick turnaround. They, they want a response uh, almost immediately. Now, a little thing to tuck away here. Colleges will not count as admitted from the waitlist students unless the students say yes. Then when the student says, yes, I'm going to come, the college will send a letter confirming that that student has been admitted and affects acknowledging the student will enroll. So it's possible also that we'll call and find that there are students, like, like I said, that students who might have already made other commitments. There are some students, I, I remember with some vivid details, students I've contacted who said, you know, no, um, I, I, I'm not at all interested. And they had some colorful language telling me that the, they, they don't want to come. And frankly, they were probably only on our active wait list because mom or dad had sent in the, the return form saying, keep us active. So we may call, if we, if we know we need 20 students to say yes from a wait list, we may call 100 or more before we get 20 students to say yes. So just know that, that, that the, the wait list situation is going to be a pretty active, fluid situation, and you need to be ready to respond when, when the call comes. Certainly a very unique situation. And for those students who have decided to commit to remaining active on the wait list, it sounds like you need to keep all lines of communication open and be ready to strike while the iron is hot, so to speak. Well, absolutely. And, and uh, I, I just want to add one more thought to this. Sometimes there's a perception that when colleges go to the wait list, they just send out wait list letters of acceptance to all the students who remain on the wait list. And, and that's simply not so. They're going to be very targeted about who they're calling and how many students they call because, they're, again, they're trying to not only get students to fill the class, but they want to improve their yield and ultimately their selectivity in the process. Mm -hmm. And is there anything at all that a student could do to give themselves a better chance of receiving that call? Uh, I think, again, making sure that she's available and easy to find, but I think the students who at the end of the day, get the call, uh, in addition to all the things I mentioned before, are the students that, that are sort of on my radar now. If, if I have to go find you, that's going to make it a, a difficult 
decision because I, I just don't have time for that. So maintaining contact with the people at the institution uh, who recruit at your high school will be the most important thing because quite often it will be that person who recruits at your high school who makes that call to you about the waitlist opportunity. Peter, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but let's let's talk in depth about what exactly a waitlisted student should plan to do if they commit to remaining active on a waitlist. You know, if I commit to remaining active on a waitlist, should I still plan to enroll at another college? What happens then if my waitlist offer comes through after my enrollment deposit has been submitted at another college? Is that double depositing? Is that frowned upon? Let's talk a little bit about, from your perspective, how a student should proceed. Well, again, a good question, because there are a lot of, if you will, rules of engagement here. Historically, uh, the, the National Association of College Admission Counseling has, uh, has established some rules with regard to how colleges uh, should be managing the process and how students should react. And, and one of the rules is that, that when a student makes an enrollment decision at a particular college, that, that that's a, a final decision. And, and you, know, you use the word double depositing. There's a tendency on the part of some students at times to, to send in enrollment deposits to two or three or four colleges, which they're basically putting off making a final decision. And they're, they're seemingly happy to forfeit the, the deposits at, at many of those schools because they can only take one. That's really frowned upon. There, there's nothing illegal. There, there are no legal implications here, but there are ethical implications. And, and colleges are really working hard to make sure that they're helping students to make decisions in, in, a, in an ethical manner here. So that said, when students are on wait lists in April and they have offers of acceptance in hand from other schools, things get a little dicey because the longer the calendar goes, the closer you get to the end of April or that candidate reply date, the, the more you worry, well, what if I don't get in from, from that school off the wait list? You know, and maybe it's your dream school. You're on your dream school's wait list, but there are a couple of other schools that have admitted you and you like them too. My strong advice is to go ahead and secure enrollment at a place that's already admitted you. If your dream school then accepts you from the wait list later, it is acceptable within the, the boundaries of the rules that we have in our association. It is acceptable for students to forfeit an enrollment at one school if they're offered a place in the class at another school from the wait list. So that's not a problem. But I would strongly suggest that, that you, you cover your options with one enrollment deposit to a college that, that you would enroll at which you would enroll if the wait list doesn't work out. Wait list works out, then you can forfeit the, the original deposit. And, and literally, you don't get that money back and then make your enrollment commitment to the, the school that's taking you from the wait list. It's a tough situation to be in, Peter, but I think the advice that you provided is, is very sound. So if you are a student listening into our conversation today, I would highly advise that you just rewind for the past minute or so and re-listen to Peter's advice there. There is a place for you out there. Make sure that you secure it. And the interesting thing is that this whole college admission process is one of ebbs and flows. There is the long lead up to the application process where students are researching schools and then preparing applications. And then there's, there's a real scramble at the end to, to get everything submitted by deadline. Then materials are submitted. And then you sit and you wait. Mm -hmm. uh, and you wait. And, and uh, finally, decision letters come out. And probably you, you are fortunate to get some offers of, of admission. And 
then your heart rate accelerates, but that your heart rate slows down a little bit when you realize that maybe that dream school is still a weightless situation. And then you wait some more. So when, when that opportunity comes from the phone call, from the email, whatever it might be to get in off the wait list, then you have to be ready for a lot of fast action because you're right. You come to the finish line quite quickly. Right. In your experience, is there a number that we can put on to describe the typical odds of a student being admitted from the wait list? I don't know if I could put a number on it exactly, but I would, I would use the metaphor of a sporting event just to illustrate what's going on here. You know, if you've been competing in a sporting event and at the end of regulation time, the score is tied, what do you do? Well, typically you go to overtime. Now, if, if you get to overtime and you, you feel like, you know, I've, I've left my game on the field, there's nothing more for me to do. I'm just not gonna get into it in overtime. What are your chances of winning? Zero. If you continue to compete in overtime, you've got a pretty good chance of winning. You know, it's a, probably a 50-50 chance of winning. The analog here is with admission, you've been working at this for a long time, a lot of months, maybe years. And, and now you got to the end of the regular decision process and you're on a wait list, which means that, okay, game's not completely over. We're going to go to overtime. Wait list is the overtime. And if you decide that, you know, you've, you've left your game on the table with the regular admission process, there's no sense in for admission off the wait list. What are your chances of getting in? Zero. <laughs> so if you choose to remain active on the wait list, your odds actually might be better than they were as a regular decision candidate. The way you approach the wait list will in many ways determine the probabilities of admission. There's no guarantee that you're going to get in. But if you look at the wait list as a dead end proposition, no chance of anything. But if you embrace the waitlist as a new opportunity to continue to compete, then again, I would suggest that your odds go up. I can't put an actual number on it, but I would suggest that your odds go up. Peter, we've had uh, many a conversation to date about the extraordinary circumstances of the past year. So given all of that, can you make any anticipations with regard to waitlist activity? In the coming weeks, are you expecting it to be much different from years past? Actually, yes. The, the general dynamics of the admission process or the enrollment process have been greatly affected by, by COVID uh, to the extent that a lot of the traditional metrics that colleges can use to predict yield on offers of admission are gone. So to a certain extent, deans of admission and their staffs are, are kind of flying blind right now. We're trying to project the right number of students to admit to get the size of class that they want. So what we're probably seeing is a tendency on the part of colleges to slightly over admit in the regular admission process, even, even when they're thinking about the yield implications, but they'll probably over admit there, but, but they're making sure that their wait lists are long and stable. I, I will be very surprised if there's not a lot of wait list activity that, that will be developing through the month of April and, and well into June, well into June. Some of the survey work that I've done with, with colleges and universities and with college access professionals supports that notion that the, the wait list is, is likely to be a very full season of activity in this particular year. Get ready. <laughs> Interesting few weeks ahead, I'm sure. For those students still listening in, I hope our conversation today leaves you breathing a little bit easier and feeling a little bit lighter if you do end up being one of those students who is placed on a wait list this year. It is not the end of the road. It is not a denial. We encourage you to remain proud of all of the work that you've done in the months and the years to date, to keep your chin up and to forge ahead. Thank you so much for your time today, Peter. 
Oh, you're quite welcome. And I think you summarized it very well. Keep your chin up, keep looking forward. Uh, you know, good things can happen if you remain uh, active with the waitlist and, and good luck. Thank you.